Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Chander LaFave Boten, Christine Wong, Christopher Ifill, Crescent Fresh, Dan Mike Dawson Silva, Emily K, Froppy, Ian Collis, Joe Sue, John DeLong, John Griswold, Leanne S, Light Relentless, Macy Ball, Riley Stevens, Sam Solero, Stella and Teresa. Become our patron today and hear your name at the beginning of an Elwood City Limit episode, if I remember to do it, at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Thanks, everybody. Coming at you an hour earlier. Than you expected, or isn't it an hour later? Uh, it's Elwood City Limits, the episodic arts podcast. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it seems like it's been throwing everybody off this time around. I mean, not that it doesn't usually, but boy, daylight savings times, what a, what a joke. What a joke. My- what a great prank pulled on us by the, by big time. Was it, uh, was it, was it Ben Franklin who invented daylight savings time? Couldn't it- tell ya. Thomas Jefferson? Was it Thomas Jefferson? I feel like I should know, but... Who invented daylight savings? Now, for all of our Americans who are screaming at their iPods right now, um, they don't... Oh, Ben Franklin. It was Ben Franklin. It was Ben Franklin. All right, there you go. Ben Franklin. Um, Thanks for nothing, pal. My my coworker came up with the big brain daylight savings time strat, which is he went downtown. He went out uh, the Saturday night, and then he just didn't sleep. So while the rest of us were... You know, beguiling the fact that we were losing an hour of sleep. Uh, technically, that just meant he was up an hour less. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it. it, it man, I don't know. It's 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 a little pass. It's a little passe to complain about daylight savings time. And really, I mean, I had yesterday and the day bef- and the day before that off essentially. So it didn't like. It's not that bad, but at the same time. I feel like now we're getting into the time of year when everything's about to change again. When, uh, when's the first day of spring? Is that an April thing? Oh, geez. I feel like it's a but spring comes in March, doesn't it? Late March? You know, we ask a lot of questions to each I know, other that we end up typing like, into Google. As if the, the ether is just going just gonna to come. I don't know. I feel like spring's close because there was that summer trailer. Did you see that summer trailer? The 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 what now? What the Sommer, the new A two four movie from the the person that made Hereditary? They're making oh, a new movie. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, that's very it, like May so, Day so, like Sommer something. Ah oh, man, I my mind feels like a piece of garbage right now. Just, <laughs> nothing nothing's firing. So what better time to record a podcast? Exactly. My, the my name's Will Young, and I apologize for how much I'll probably be blanking tonight. And uh, the sharper mind of the two of us. I believe that would be Mr. Lucas Mancini. That's right. I'm like I'm like the razor's edge baby. I just drank a coffee. Just got uh, home from school. Uh, unfortunately, I worked all weekend, so I did feel that loss of an hour. So both of us were sort of running on fumes. Uh, you know, Mercury's in retrograde. Uh, it's situation is suboptimal, but I wouldn't <laughs> miss recording the podcast for the world. Uh, Midsummer is the name of it. Ari Aster is the is the director. Very interested, very excited. Loved Hereditary, and I look forward to this one too. There's a lot of real. There's a lot of real great um, sophomore efforts from horror directors coming out. We've got 
Uh, Robert Eggers, who directed The Witch. We've got Jordan Peele's new movie coming out in like a week or something. Whoa, whoa. What's the new movie from the guy who made The Witch? Um, so that was actually one that was filmed near us. Uh, like it's. Oh, is that that Lighthouse movie? It's the Lighthouse with, uh, movie. Uh, uh, with Ro- the, Robert uh, Pattinson. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Interesting. And there's somebody else that I'm neglecting to remember. Yeah, it is called The Lighthouse. Is and there a trailer? I don't think so, but it is. I believe it is coming out uh, this week. So it was partially filmed in Yarmouth, which is uh, about an hour or two away from us here in uh, the capital of Nova Scotia, Halifax. Whoa! Very. It's a very the exciting. Lighthouse upcoming film. It's a very exciting time to be a horror fan. So uh, if you haven't seen, uh, well, what? Get Out, The Witch, uh, Hereditary, and. Oh I'll tell you a real horror film, Will, and that's the nightly news. Ayo! <laughs> All right, thanks, Grandpa. Have you seen that that tweet that guy tweets every time um, there's like a, a number one comedy in America? And it's like, they want you to think that, um, I don't know, what was a recent comedy? Uh, um, oh, gosh, I guess I haven't really watched a o- lot of comedy movies over, in theaters. Overboard. Yeah, yeah. They want you to think that Overboard's the number one comedy in camera in America. But have you seen Congress? <laughs> Man, we got a million. We got a million of them, don't we? We have we have existential dread, but we also <laughs> we also got the also got the puns. <laughs> yeah. Ayo. All right. So <laughs> let, <laughs> let's try and let's try and pull ourselves out of this tailspin. Let's say before we get into this Arthur episode, we. Uh, talk about a couple of emails we received here at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so let's go to our first one here from Kelsey Marie. Uh, postcards from Buster and Arthur Theories. I watched an Arthur episode called Lend Me Your Ear, which is about Ratburn not hearing very well due to him playing loud music all the time. That's interesting. I can't wait to get to that one. I wonder what uh, kind of music that Mr. Ratburn likes. Is he like a big metalhead? Maybe that I could. Does he, I, does he like screamo? I could see that swerve coming in. Uh, in this particular episode, you can see for a brief second a human version of Mister Ratburn. It kind of makes me theorize if the Arthur characters are only animals due to Ratburn taking some kind of substance. Interesting. Do you think hmm. this could be all in Nigel Ratburn's head? <laughs> I, I wonder why they they, they picked Mister Ratburn as the one being like the conduit for the audience. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this show that Mister Ratburn is not ple- present for, but hmm. uh, I, that's I, certainly an interesting. I'll tell you what. You should bring that theory to one Reddit.com. Hmm. I'm sure they'd have a field day with it. Uh, as for postcards from Buster, which I believe we talked about fairly recently, I used to watch it growing up. The only reason I liked it was because you got to see more of Buster's father and the father-son dynamic between Buster and his dad. And in most kids' shows that show a single parent, you don't get to see the other parent. I myself come from a divorced family, and my parents split us between each other. I had my mom during the weekends and dad during the week. Well, we will be talking about... Um, we will be talking about postcards from Buster at some point in the future. So hopefully whatever episode we pick, it'll be a good one. Um, it'll be a good one to kind of, uh, show that dynamic. Yeah, 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 Mm -hmm. for sure. Do you know what was, I, I, we must've in 91 episodes, we must've mentioned this before, but do you know what's another cartoon that has a really, uh, good, um, portrayal of a divorced, uh, family? Are you going to say stick it around? I was going to say stick it around. (laughs) 
Uh, we've definitely said that before, haven't we? hundred percent. We, we, we've talked about sticking around like almost as much as Arthur at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, and I, I'm sure I've shared this antidote as well on the podcast before, but I, I, when I was a kid, I thought they took place in the same universe because Stanley had the same glasses, mm. um, or, or Bradley, excuse me, Bradley. Bradley. Um, I, uh, I called him little Arthur. Yes. Little Arthur. As a child. I do yeah. remember that. Which, which doesn't even make that much sense. Cause it's not like. I think Bradley's older than Arthur. I think they're around the same age, give or take like a year or two. Um, I was thinking, like, I, I every time I think of sticking around, I'd be like, man, love to talk about that. But I don't think it's the kind of thing that you make a podcast about. You know what I think we should do sometime is we should, um, I'm pretty sure you can find, like, all of the sticking around episodes on YouTube. We sh- I should, like, have, like, a rabbit uh, room open and invite in like maybe our Patreon members or something, and uh, like we'll just sit back, kick back for an evening, watch them sticking around. That sounds that sounds awesome. Yeah, we got to watch the one where um, they have like the wacky race. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that and uh, what's Dill? Dill's got the lemon car. I feel like that's a that's a seminal sticking around episode. There's a there's a there's a Dill bit that I still laugh at, and it's um I. I, th- I think it's it's an episode involving pets because that's where you find out that Dill has a pet uh, parakeet named uh, Pickle, and just it's it's Dill and Pickle both basically yelling at each other, just like "Keep it down, would you, Pickle? Keep it down, would you?" And just um, driving everybody crazy. Dill is one of those characters where, like, my so like my mom, the tooth, like my mom just hates annoying TV characters. So when I was a kid, and I would watch Sticking Around. She hated it. Because she found Dill really annoying. It's the same with Homestar. Homestar Runner and Dill are like the number t- public enemy number one and two on my mom's hit list because uh, she couldn't stand either of their voices. Oh, I've been watching uh, a, a couple of strong bad emails recently. Just some old ones. It's Ooh. it's still funny. I love it. Oh yeah, it's it's big time. Uh, as as Moore would say, uh, Homestar Runner is like it's internet humor that has not aged a lick. It's evergreen. Um, yeah. It's good stuff. For sure. We got a quick one here from Norbert Dan. Uh, Dear Will, Lucas might not have caught your eerie Indiana reference in the latest episode, but don't worry, I did. Thank you. Uh, Do you think Buster would do well there, or would the weirdness be too much for even him? So, Norbert, I hate to disappoint you on this one. I remembered literally nothing about eerie Indiana beyond the name. I think I remember watching a few episodes here and there, um, but even when I was a kid, it kind of felt like a third-tier, like... There was, you know, there was Goosebumps, there was Are You Afraid of the Dark, and then there was, like, shows like Eerie Indiana or The Zack Zach Files. I don't like any anthology horror show that wasn't produced in Canada, okay? <laughs> I think I might have just bumped my microphone because I, I instinctively slammed on my table. That's how strongly I think about this. If you don't have a young Ryan Gosling in your anthology horror television series, I'm not interested. The one exception is, of course... Tales from the Crypt Creeper, but I've never heard of this show, Will. I'm looking at this Eerie Indiana uh, uh, Wikipedia page. Um, like, I've never heard of this. This is insane. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. I think it's just like these two kids move to a uh, to a town called Eerie Indiana, and weird things happen there, and that's, that's about it. You ever watch Outer Limits? No, not not really. There's one Outer Limits episode I remember from when I was a kid, and it's like uh, an inventor creates like a robot son or something, and that's that's about it. The, the Outer Limits is uh, the the ni- the 1990s Canadian answer to the Twilight Zone. 
That's what I was just going to say is I've only seen the 90s Outer Limits, not the original, like, 60s one. Uh, and finally, we have one from Lion Dog ZXA, who finds it very funny as an American when I pronounce their name as Lion Dog ZXA instead of Z. Well, get used to it because <laughs> that's what we do over here. All right, in the mailbag episode a couple weeks ago, you mentioned the idea that Muffy could get more development by taking an interest in the protection of animals or the environment. I'm pleased to say that in a a post-season 10 episode, The Cherry Tree, this is brought up. I'm interested to hear Lucas's thoughts on a boy with his head in the clouds since it deals with dyslexia. More, More on that later. Also, I need your help with something. A few days ago, I started thinking about what if Arthur was a fighter, it was a Super Smash Bros. fighter, and what his special moves, Smash Attacks, Final Smash, Taunts, Stage, and Series logo would be. So far, I've determined that his neutral special would be kicking a soccer ball, his up special would be using his moon boots, and his Smash Attacks would be his iconic punch, and the Series logo would be his glasses. Do you have any ideas? Lucas, take it away. Uh, so, um, uh... Arthur would probably not be dissimilar to like a villager or an Isabel mm-hmm. uh, in the way they move. Uh, so his forward B would be like he's got a bunch of books. You know when he's coming out of the library and he's got the books stacked so high that you can't even see his face? Yeah. And he'd, and he'd be like falling forward, dropping the books. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. forward B, he'd like drop on the book the books on you. Or maybe that'd be his forward smash. I don't know. Um, I love the moon boots as the up B. That's, got yeah. a, oh. that, that's a really great recovery move. Moon boots gots to be the up B. Um... I think, uh, you know, neutral B, he could also, like, eat you like Kirby with his big, like, cake face. <laughs> um, I like the smash attack being, like, very punch-heavy. I think that's a really good reference. Um, you could also do, like, you could almost have him, like, a nest-type character. You could have him use a, a baseball bat since he plays baseball. Mm-hmm. Though I do think it's got to be the, the, the punch, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, his final smash could be, like, he gets cut by the lima bean can and then, like, all the, like, <laughs> uh, germs, like, stampede the stage. Uh, I I, th- I I gotta say for his final smash, I think he's gotta call in Pal. Oh, it's e- yeah. e- e- either Pal or DW. No, DW. Yeah, DW with like pots and pans, like walking by, like DW. DW is um, the smash trophy. Sorry. Oh yeah, like Kawasaki. Um. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I guess I guess that's all of it. Taunts. Uh, any taunts? Any any taunts? Um. Hmm. Taunts is difficult. Uh, Arthur's not really a boastful, boastful guy. Hmm. Uh, I th- his level could be the treehouse. Um, his, or the sugar his, bowl. His final splash actually probably would be like uh, Captain Wario, where he turns into Bugs Bunny or something. I mean, Bionic, Bionic Bunny. Bionic Bunny. Yeah. Hmm. Fair enough. I I think there's fertile ground here. Uh, I and I think that uh, uh, Lion Dog ZXA has got us uh, down the right path here. So. Good question. I like that one. I finally got to play the new Smash recently. Oh, yeah? What did you think? I've been, uh, sorry, let me get next to the microphone. Uh, what did you think? I, I really enjoy that game. I love that game, actually. Um, I liked it my... a lot. Um, it's just kind of, you know, the Smash I've come to expect. Um, I didn't try out too many new characters. I was kind of seeing how my old ones were, and uh, pretty good so far, the translation. I mean, the, the only thing that's not good is I, I recently realized that when it comes to Super Smash Brothers, I am the equivalent of a wrestler who was very good in ECW coming to the WWE, and I realized I'm no good without weapons. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm like this I'm like the Sandman of uh, Super <laughs> Smash Bros. It's just like 
just it doesn't translate unfortunately like if you 1v1 me no items you will kill me but if there are items i at least have a chance of like like accidentally killing someone i'm not very good at that game anymore i'm too old but it was still a lot of fun i loved the um the five on five the t the where it's like each is a different character i think that's a great i think that's a great idea no i uh i um I love that game. Uh, I would never go as far as to say as I'm good at it. I mean, I can kind of play Pikachu, I would say, mm. um, and I certainly can't play anybody else. Uh, but I do like a lot of the new characters. Like you should try Inkling or uh, the Castlevania guys, like Simon and Richter. Those are all very fun. I should. All right, everybody. Thank you for your emails over at ElwoodCityLimits at Gmail dot com. One of those emails was talking about the first. Arthur story that we'll be talking about here today, the boy with his head in the clouds. And this is one that we have been looking. I'd like to think that we've been looking forward to this one uh, for a while now for a couple of reasons. Uh, it's, it's a George episode and we get a lot of characterization of George. One particularly that Lucas, uh, I think you're going to be able to kind of talk about in a greater detail than I would be able to. Oh yeah, I mean, I I didn't really realize it was this episode from the title, but I was excited once I realized what was going on. So we start off the episode. Arthur is talking about what it what it would be like if you could see inside people's minds, not their brains, he's, he, but their he's, minds. He's climbing up Mr. Rapper's head, and Mr. Rapper got he's got like. I don't know if you noticed this, Will, but looking at this now, a pause, it's like a profile view of Mr. Rapper, mm. um, and it looks exactly like Drake's Nothing Was the Same cover. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. The clouds and everything. <laughs> oh my god, that's so... <laughs> I did <laughs> No, I didn't notice that. I'm getting to that point right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's wonderful! Yeah, okay. So Arthur's scaling it. You see a lot of like earwax when he goes into people's in, into people's heads. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, yeah, the animators love like whenever we get into stuff like this, like in the lice episode or any episode where there's like ear. Remember, like when they showed the inside of Buster's ears, like his yeah. putrid ears. Um, they love like animating like ear flesh. <laughs> it does uh, look like that album cover. <laughs> it's. It's weird. <laughs> Not degenerous, but even Ellen love our shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I like that album. So <laughs> I, I also like that album. Yeah, like, uh, so yeah, um, ooh, Arthur ooh. says, uh, uh, you know, what, have you ever wondered what it's like in someone's mind? Uh, and this is all very inside, like Disney Pixar's inside. Yeah, yeah, inside out. Yeah, ins- yeah, inside out, inside out. Uh, yeah, so Arthur uh, goes into Rapper's head and he finds out that it's a giant homework machine where it just ta- basically takes all the thoughts that Rapper has, all of his experiences, and figures out ways to like put it into this giant homework blender. And there's also like a conveyor belt that takes the fun out of everything in order to make it homework. There's actually a little bit of a disturbing part here. Lucas, you've talked about before how when uh, the scene from Superman 3 where the woman becomes the robot scares you. Oh my this, god, yeah. Arthur gets zapped with like the no fun ray and he essentially becomes a robot. Uh, like he just immediately loses all emotion just goes, I am educational. I am educational. <laughs> um, and uh, then he decides to hop into George's head. Uh, we, sorry, I should, I should finish that. Ratburn says... Um, 
it's like and and for your homework tonight i want you to write an essay on arthur and everybody's like huh and he's like <laughs> why did i say arthur he says uh, uh uh no more double lattes for me yeah uh, so Arthur decides to hop into George's mind, which is much different. It's actually like this giant screen with a bunch of like images on it, moving images and static images. But then like a word comes up and the brain doesn't know, the mind doesn't know how to handle it. And then it begins to like go into shutdown mode. And well, Arthur's also, like, it's also, just a image. These images are full motion video. Like I can't stress that enough that they're not animated. It's like live action footage. Um, and the way it's like cutting between them and flashing between them. And I feel like this is not the first time I've made this reference either, but you know, the episode of lost where they find the mind control room. Um, I'm it's sure, like a, I'm sure I've seen it three. It's where the other people live. It's like an old Dharma facility. Spoilers for lost. If you haven't seen lost and they find this mind control room and it's just like flashing a bunch of images. God, what is it called? Just a second. Um, like I, one of I, like, my favorite lore things in Lost is the like mind I, control. Uh, I don't remember a mind control room, but it's been it's very uh, Clockwork Orange uh, room. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since I've seen Lost. Um, so yeah, Room Twenty Three, a brainwashing technique. Uh, so on, yeah, on the, the, the Lost Wikia. George's mind uh, can't handle a single word, and we will soon find out why. Uh, it is it is indeed a George episode. Pretty much everything is from his perspective. Uh, in class, they're trying to do like a word problem that Ratburn is reading out to them. It's one of those really l- elongated word problems that go go on forever. And uh, George kind of loses his concentration and ends up daydreaming. Uh, he has this daydream about like how he gets on a jetpack and flies up into the clouds and he makes friends with these birds. And uh, but eventually he he gets pulled out of it. So this is kind of the first inkling of not necessarily like or rather I should say. It, of kind of how George's mind works. He's not so much for, you know, facts and figures and, like, kind of statistical, analytical thinking. He's much more of a, um, well, a, a dreamer. and it, A creative it, type, yeah. A, a creative type, yeah. And it reminded me, like, I definitely did that a couple times when I was in elementary school. Like, just kind of my mind wandered, and then the teacher was like, William, are you listening? And I'm like, huh? Uh, no, sorry. Uh, so well, that, I that did that. Today, <laughs> I, I that is just a reality. That's 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 every single day of my life in school right now. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I feel like that would probably still happen to me too. Uh, George, Except, uh, no ravens are asking me if I'm eating loot fisk. Yeah, which is... loot fisk for lunch again. Kind of a shout out to his uh, to his heritage. What is loot fisk? Oh, loot fisk is I... like a is like a type of fish, I think, or like. Central Norway. We're learning all kinds of stuff today. Well, remember in Arthur's Perfect Christmas, like there was a representation of Norway because that's where George's family history is from. So they were doing like uh, thing like Norwegian holiday celebrations here. Are are is there moose in Norway? Are they indigenous? Is that uh, what the connection is? It's kind of ra- I don't think I know anybody from Norway. No, I don't. I can't say that. Norway. I do. Okay, so when you Google Norway moose, the very thing that comes up is an article called "Norway builds world's largest moose statue." Canada strikes back. So Norway must be known for. Yeah. So there's there's moose. something there. The and that's the and that's cool. I I I like that. And it's it's a t- it's a. It's a cultural uh, signifier that you wouldn't necessarily see uh, from a from a backup character like George. Uh, we go to George's house and we pretty much see right away like he is trying to read uh, a book. 
passage on Leonardo da Vinci, but he's trying to sound it out, and it just it just isn't working. And we might as well kind of get into it a little bit right now. So throughout the episode, we eventually find out that George has dyslexia. And Lucas, not to blow up your spot or anything, but you also uh, have dyslexia. That's right. So I have a mild case of dyslexia. I was diagnosed with it. Um, I was a little bit older than George. I would have probably been around junior high. Um, and, uh, so, you know, dyslexia affects people in different ways and there's, there's different levels of severity. So, um, George's seems to, uh, affect his reading comprehension, mm-hmm. uh, which is not something that I've ever, uh, really experienced. So, uh, specifically when my dyslexia is my, um, writing. So, um, like I can read fine. But let's say uh, the word – this is my go-to example is always like the word bed. Uh, sometimes if I'm writing quickly and I'm unfocused, I would just write the word uh, bed as Deb unconsciously. Right. Um, and and I, I often put O's and U's in the wrong spot and, and, and spelling uh, does not come naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's pretty much – uh, my dyslexia, as well as like some of the more um, ADD elements that George seems to uh, exempt in this episode, like the uh, like I, I to me personally um, to be able to focus on anything, I kind of have to be doing two things at once. So if I'm in a group meeting, I kind of have to be like checking Twitter um, to be able to focus at all. Mm-hmm. Um, um, otherwise, my mind will just wander instead of be, and I won't focus on anything instead of focusing on two things. Um, but yeah, so mostly uh, it's funny. Uh, even though George's dyslexia is different than my own, I, I do think this episode reflects my experience uh, pretty well. Like from people, uh, well, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I, I will say uh, it's kind of uncanny how close this is to reality. Someone on the writing staff must have or had a child who was diagnosed with dyslexia because some of this stuff is, is, is very close to how it works in reality. You'll have to let us know uh, exactly like some of these other connections as we go through the episode. But it's um, we get a scene here with George and his dad where he says, you know, hey, dad, I need help with this reading. And his dad is working on like some sort of like he's working on like a cage or something or, or and George ends up kind of like not paying it not not so much not paying attention but he gives the book to his dad his dad uh, like walks off screen and then he kind of spends a couple of minutes making his own little like pulley contraption so he's very um like physic uh his creativity comes out in kind of more physical kind of creative uh, i don't know what i'm trying to say here he's very good at making things mm-hmm. he's very good with his hands um, and it seems that his dad is too, so that's probably where he gets it from. But when his dad is like, okay, what do you need help with, son? And he's like, well, first, what's it about? <laughs> and his dad's like, oh. But this is kind of where I had the question, and I don't know if you'll be able to kind of uh, even answer this, Lucas, but I was wondering, like, it's kind of a later in the episode thing where it's like George, like Ratburn essentially diagnoses George with dyslexia. Um, I, I, I find it very strange that, like, his family never kind of encountered this or like had this diagnosed, I guess. And well, until I, I don't want to make too many assumptions, but sure. uh, uh, George's dad seems like a real salt of the earth gentleman. You know, he's working in his tool shed. Mm. Uh, he seems possibly like a good old boy. Uh, and so maybe he just never heard of it. It could be. And, and like you said, like you said, when you were in junior high, I mean, maybe it just takes a while for like, even people close to you to kind of recognize the the symptoms or the difficulties and it's and and as we see throughout the episode it's not easy for George to talk about there's a scene right here where um 
the Arthur, Buster, and Francine are playing No Guessing in the treehouse, which Arthur wins clean. Well, okay, so I love that this is a running joke now is that, that Arthur's just a cheater. Like, <laughs> like, like every time Arthur wins a game, it must be questioned. He's like the Barry Bonds of board games. There's an asterisk <laughs> next to his name uh, uh, during all victories, which is so funny for, like, the main character of this children's show, the, the sort of the – the character that the audience is supposed to relate to the most, the one that is like, he means well, he's a good friend, he reads, but also he's got a past where he used to cheat all the time, so none of his friends trust him when they play board games. I think that's just a weird character trait. Well, we've seen six seasons of, like, Arthur's darkest traits, and, like, he's, <laughs> it's not, he's not a good guy, he's not a bad guy, he's the guy. That's, that's all, that's all there's to it. He's just, he's just a normal kid. He's got ups and he's got downs. Um, oh, but he's nerfed. <laughs> um, yeah. So George, they invite George to play and he's kind of, uh, you know, he's, he says, I'm not very good at trivia games. And like, they encourage him to play. George tries to read a clue, but he just can't. And th- this kind of backs up the whole thing of like, he probably didn't want to tell anybody about it because I imagine for some kids it's embarrassing because Francine asks him like, George, can you read? And then George's yeah. like, of course I can read. This game is stupid. And he just like storms out. Uh, I will say this is how I know from memory that Oslo is the capital of Norway. I always remembered in George's voice, Oslo. The capital of Norway is Oslo. I only know it from that uh, that Netflix video that's like a trip through Oslo. Uh, that's like the train. It's like just like 10 hours of a train driving through the mountains of Oslo. Oh, that, sounds, um, that sounds peaceful. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I will also say... Um, for some reason, this reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where George plays Trivial Pursuit against the Bubble Boy, and uh, yeah, the oh sorry, that's the Moops, uh, and then the Bubble Boy's bubble deflates. Yeah, <laughs> um, just in terms of like misreading uh, trivia cards. Um, so we I'm and I I kind of already said this before. The next scene is uh, George takes his uh his ventriloquist dummy Wally out of storage and kind of talks to him for a little bit and. It's not in your face, but throughout the episode, we do see, like, all the things that George is good at. He's good at building things. He's good at ventriloquism. Like, he's got all of these strengths that he just can't really focus on because he is focusing on his weakness, which is his dyslexia. But it's, you know, if you're kind of reading between the lines of the episode, George is a very intelligent, thoughtful, creative kid. It's just he has this one stumbling block. Uh, what's interesting about this is prior to this, Wally has just kind of been an extension of George. But now I feel like Wally's got a consciousness unto himself. Like when George is like, uh, Wally gives George advice and then George puts Wally back in the box. And he's like, no, don't put me back in the box. Yeah, George like, is, is, is Wally's more like a Nadine or something where uh, he's kind of his own character now. George really commits to the bit. And there is a throwaway line about how like. George got Wally back from DW of just like, you know, it's like, it took me weeks to wash that lipstick off my face. Yeah, they retconned, they retconned Wally to get him back to George. Mm -hmm. So in talking to Wally, George decides that, you know, he needs to kind of take on a new identity so no one will know that he can't read. And through Wally, he, he figures that he should be like Binky because even though Binky's not terribly smart, everybody respects him because they fear him. So he needs to become a mean kid. And so we get this in extended sequence where George is essentially hiring Binky's services in order to teach him how to be a bully. Uh, so first thing I noticed, did you know both George and Binky are wearing uh, orange button downs? 
So they are shop at the same clothing store. So it was meant to be. But this is a really unique pairing. Um, you know, we've talked about this before. I always love when two characters that we don't normally see hang out, hang out. And George and Binky is an inspired combo. It's an odd, it's an odd couple, that's for sure. Because Binky is trying to go through all of these, essentially these this tutoring lesson of just like all the of bullying 101 just like making threats looking intimidating but George really can't he's he's a quiet and nice kid so being mean and intimidating doesn't come to him naturally um <laughs> and if and it leads to kind of the the crux of this entire sequence is how um Binky's like, we need to find a way to kind of make you more physically imposing. And then George has an idea, and it leads to this, basically, this music video sequence called Hammer. Who's the moose that's on the loose? Hammer. Hammer. Five feet tall from horns to caboose. Hammer. He's tough as nails. He's real bad. He's never sad. Don't mess with him. So, yeah, Binky calls George Hammer because he's like, you like building stuff? Yeah. And he sees George's hammer, and he's like, that would be a good name. Uh, And then he kind of gives George this whole makeover. um, And then, of all things, this was something I was really surprised to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get a Shaft parody. Yeah. Um, which is like, this is one for the adults, but I'm like, what adults? Like, you have to be a very <laughs> particular type of person uh, to know what this is referencing. And it is like referencing it hard. Back to like the ad libs of like the girls being like, hammer, like just like the shaft. And then it's like the deep voice of like, he's coming. Here's the mean streets. It's hammers at it again. Hammer. Like, uh, this is, is amazing. This like- is like incredible. He's he's bad. He's never sad. <laughs> yeah, it's and, so so good. And did you catch this? The Spike Lee reference that they made, um, because on George's antlers, he on one of them yes, he writes hate, and then one of them he writes love. I did see this. That's crazy. Like, do the right thing. Yeah, I loved also, that. Also, George is wearing like Bret Hart glasses. There's there's no, no, there's very little to not love about this whole sequence. This is another great Arthur Halloween costume because yes. you need you need to get a yellow shirt that you like smock up with like paint. You need antlers, you need the red bandana and the sunglasses, and you also need to wear like like wooden crates on your feet. And <laughs> but he looks cool. I love this look. Yeah, this is very cool. And then we get this like great fisheye effect as he's walking down the street. This whole sequence is great. Um I uh, before we move on during uh, George's training uh, Binky's got like a list of things to teach him and they are uh, insults, pushing and rude noises. <laughs> uh, what do you think rude noises are? You think just like farting or like Arm- armpit farts, armpit farts, raspberries. raspberries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so we get George is now a part of the tough customers. It was interesting to see with his little stilts. George is as tall as Binky um, and a poor little girl walks by. Uh, and George like tries to atti- intimidate her, but he steps in a bucket and falls on his face. Gur, what are you looking at, Foodus? <laughs> Thus is the end of Hammer. Uh, anyway, gr- like great little aside. I thought that added a lot of character to oh, this the fact episode. that they recorded an original soul song for <laughs> it is just beyond the pale. 
It's great. Uh, so yeah, jo- uh, Binky admits defeat that there's no way that he can make George kind of uh, intimidating. There's no way that he can make him a bully. And so George is kind of back to square one. Um, at this point uh, in the episode, we see that everybody has to do a report on Leonardo da Vinci. And then after class, Ratburn calls George aside. And this is kind of where he says, uh, have you ever been Have you ever been tested for dyslexia? And it, essentially this is where he gets pretty much diagnosed. And we also find out that canonically, Mr. Haney has dyslexia too. He wanders, <laughs> he wanders into the class and it, like, like, Rat, like Ratburn makes a, an illusion of just like, in fact, you're not the only one in the school with it. Mr. Haney comes in and he's like, oh, I thought this was the teacher's lounge. Well, can't tell my left from my right. And George is like, yeah, me neither. Now this part, I was a little bit like all the goodwill they did, uh, you know, uh, portraying dyslexia realistically with George and making him sympathetic. It's all washed away because Mr. Haney's just an idiot. <laughs> Mr. Haney's just a fool. No, but I'm mostly, I'm mostly joking. I think I thought it was funny. Uh, uh, especially like, and then you see this montage of sort of Mr. Haney and George uh, hanging out. And then, okay, so this part where the lady's holding up the giant like letter flashcards. This was crazy. I was like, Oh my God. Uh, because, uh, I've definitely done the same thing where like I had after school classes I had to take and I had like a, uh, like dyslexia tutors and they would hold up these giant flashcards. And like, for instance, the bed and Deb example, um, you would remember that like B will has a bump and D has a duff. And that's how you remember the difference between B and D. Oh, I see. Um, But these like giant flashcards and like sounding out the noises and all this stuff is like very accurate um, to real life. I will also say that um, Ratburn kind of uh, asked him about if he's ever been tested for dyslexia because George turned in a writing, uh, like a short story and, and Ratburn, which, which Ratburn liked, he just had a lot of trouble reading it. He's like very, very Edgar Allan Poe. So I thought that was that was interesting. It's like even in a in a creative medium that George isn't like terribly good at, like function or style wise, he still has like this very creative mind. Yeah, it's like um, reading it. It looked like um, uh, if you actually like try and read George's like essay, uh, it's like one. It's like Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, the the dummy in the closet. It's called. Hey, the dummy in the closet. I mean, I'm trying to look up one of those like made up words from Finnegan's Wake. Yeah, um, just like incomprehensible, or like, or like trying to read somebody talking in Cockney in like one of the Harry Potter books. There's so much, so many apostrophes oh, and yeah, like yeah, yeah, short yeah. words. Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you see that? Like, uh, everybody's making those jokes about the new. Did you see the trailer for the new Pokemon game, Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield? And oh, how you, it's, it's, and it's taking place in the fake UK, so it's like, oh, the Pikachu on round the lorry. Do I look, do I look like an auxiliary mate? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those are great. I love I love the tweets that are done in like the uh, written out Scottish dialect. It's so great. Um, well, if you've never looked up these hundred letter words from Finnegan's Wake, I I highly recommend you do. Uh, because there's like no way that James Joyce wasn't just pulling a fast one. Like, <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. It, like, this is so stupid. Like, I I hope I become uh, a literary legend. Like, I hope I someday is am widely regarded as one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, so I could just put out absolute nonsense and have people <laughs> pretend it's like smart. Because that's definitely what this is. This is so stupid. Like. To take a it's page like out, his, his cat walked across his keyboard, and they were like, "Oh, it's genius dream logic." To take a page out of our friends from Dog Island's book, uh, it's the ultimate grift. Yeah, well, definitely. J- James Joyce, definitely a grifter, certified. 
Uh, so we get to the what is the end of the episode. Everybody's passing in their reports. Um, <laughs> we hear a couple of the titles like uh, Muffies is great. I love this. The Medici's from Riches to Riches. <laughs> Uh, that, that, that was, was very good uh, and then Buster's wrong. is good as well it's like who really painted the Sistine Chapel was it yeah. uh, uh, Da Vinci or Aliens or something a- like that uh, and it seems like George doesn't have a report in fact he says he doesn't have one but instead of doing a report he actually got help from his dad and created a prototype of a Da Vinci flying machine from like one of his like schematics and like it actually works. It's like a, it's basically like a car seat that they found at the dump, on like uh, a wooden pallet. And then he also created these like, not functional, but like these wings that are controlled with like joysticks. And it looks cool. And George gets like a brief little, uh, imagination sequence where like he does he flaps the wings and he starts to fly. And the episode ends with Ratburn giving him an A. So again, the message kind of being sent here of like George may not excel in one area but that doesn't mean that he's not creative he's not intelligent uh he just needs to channel his strengths into different avenues and that's true for a lot of kids and i would hope that you know kids watching this like yourself who have dyslexia or have other learning disabilities kind of came away uh with a kind of positive take uh, take away from all this no yeah like when mr rapper's diagnosing george with dyslexia he's saying like oh all these people have dyslexia like mr haney albert einstein albert einstein leonardo da vinci it was very similar except they were like at the learning center when i was getting after school taught they had like a list of all the people with dyslexia like all the famous people you know tom cruise has dyslexia Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much the end of that episode welcome george to the extended arthur canon i think we'll be seeing him a bit more from now on or at least i certainly hope so i liked our time with him and now, a word from us, kids. Hi there, Elwood City Limits listener. Just a quick note here from your buddy, your pal, Will Young, that this show is supported by all of you listeners just like you by the following ways. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter at ECL Podcast. Tumblr, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Instagram at Elwood City Limits. Drop us a line on social media. We'd love to hear from you and give us a like, a heart, whatever it is. Email elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. You can get your email read here on the air. Just send it to us and uh, let us know what you think of the episode, of the show, of anything in particular that we might have talked about or that's on your mind. And you can find the podcast by going to elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com and you can find it at your local podcast provider. Now, if the show is not on a service that you use all the time and you'd like to change that, make sure to drop us a line and we will get it on there as soon as possible. All right, let's get back to the episode now, already in progress. And we're back. All right, so we uh, two in a row here. It's another DW episode as we're talking about more. It's like I only just realized it before we recorded here, but it was like, yeah, DW is getting the major focus here in the mid to late part of season six. Mm-hmm. I think all these memories I have of a kid of all these like DW focused episodes and Emily and the Tibbles, because um, there's the, the, the in my mind they're such an established part of the Arthur canon, but their episodes were pretty sparse in the first couple seasons, you know, we'd have the one where he, she made up the story as she went along. Um, or we had the ones where she hung out with the Tibbles for a while. Um, but this whole like episodes that just take place in the preschool, I think they're, they're getting more frequent. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one is starts out with DW being obsessed with things being equal, just like a little kid. I feel like a lot of little kids go through this uh, go through this phase. Like she's taking off, like making sure hers and Arthur's cake slices had the exact amount of frosting. Uh, and she's especially obsessed when it comes to her friend Emily to make sure that they're equal too. So we get a bit more of em- this is actually a little bit of fleshing out for Emily. So she's not like rich, but she's definitely like pretty well off. Um, and DW, but she also like she doesn't flaunt she doesn't flaunt it uh, at least not in this episode very much. The and- one person have the French nannies. Well, we gotta make it so every little girl has a French nanny. The 99% are not getting a French daddy, Will. Who is oh, this? Oh, God. It's like a very bad Bernie Sanders. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh, uh. <laughs> not only was that unfunny, but it also it hurt me. Uh, uh, it's just a, it's a, just a, it's double bad. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man, you really paid for that one. <laughs> Um, so, uh, there's a, there's a thing here where like DW like sees a music box that Emily has and she's like, oh, mine just plays Marzy Dotes. And for a long time, I didn't know what that was. I still don't. But now whenever I hear Marzy Dotes, I can't not think of Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks. What is Marzy Dotes? Marzy Dotes and Dotesy Dotes and Little Lambsy Divey and Kiddly Divey too, wouldn't you? It's oh <laughs> Leland Palmer sings that so much in the second in the second season. Then there's like literally a point where he's explaining how like what it means, and that's how I know what Mersey Dotes is and what it means. Oh, oh Mersey Dotes and Dotes and Dotes and Little Lambsy Divey, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Oh Mersey Dotes and Dotes and Dotes and Little Lambsy Divey, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Now if the words sound queer and funny to your ear, a little bit jumble and jivey, say Mersey Dotes and Doe's eat oats. And little lambsy divey. Leland. Oh, mersy dots and dozy dots and little lambsy divey. A kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? A kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? A kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Oh, jeez. That's like... My equivalent of that is like the Rattlin Bog. <laughs> What's that? Will, you don't know about the Rattlin' Bog? The tree in the hole in the hole in the ground? Or the bog down in the valley It sounds kind of familiar. There was a branch, a rare branch, a Rattlin' branch, branch on a tree in the tree in the hole in the hole in the ground, or the bog down in the valley Eventually, it, it, they, they get so into detail, um, uh, like, they get microscopic. It's like a gnat on a hair on a feather on a feather on the bird and the bird and the egg and the egg and the nest and the na- nest and the branch the branch of the tree and the tree and the bog and the bog down in the valley And they get faster every time. This sounds familiar. Like, I'm sure if I haven't heard this exact one, I've heard, like, a variation of it. Like, definitely that kind of thing. And then they okay. say, f- they, they get faster. They're like, faster buys. The buys okay. got to do it. They, they got to do it doubly fast. Is it a Newfoundland thing? Oh, big time. <laughs> you said buys, and I'm like, all right. I, I know what's going on here. Uh, but the thing that kind of sets DW off here is, like, you know, she's just like making sure that everything is equal. Just like, oh, so like if you if you like my marriage dotes one and I like you, I like yours, then we're equal. But I guess mine's also better. And Emily's like, can we just play now? <laughs> Which is the theme of the episode. And then uh, we get another appearance here from Marie Ellen. She comes in, and uh, DW is very jealous that Emily has a French nanny, but she doesn't. And it's she's like. It, it, <laughs> 
I'm I'm beginning to to really like the the little time we spend with Marie Ellen because of her just because of her accent alone. She's just like, look at this place. It is a mess. I will clean it later. It's almost like a South Park character doing a French accent. It's like that level of like. It's not quite full parody, but it is it, it is exaggerated to a point that I find it very funny. And then she just starts singing Frère Jaca because, of course, she does. Uh, we uh, were th- talking about Hereditary earlier. Do you notice that um, Emily's like room with the dollhouse? It just it just kind of reminded me of Hereditary, like the workshop in Hereditary. I can't say uh, it didn't ring a bell for me in that sense, but uh, good looking out. I also if you if you pause it when they're going at uh, the dollhouse, you can see this hippo, the stuffed hippo, um, and he's just got a good face. You should check out this this stuffed hippo that Emily has. I'm a big fan of his face. Look at this! Oh my goodness gracious, he's like, Ugh. oh, he does. He's it's a real. Huh. <laughs> that hippo's having a good time. He sure is. Um, I'll have to get a I'll have to get a snap of that. So DW is in a very bad mood, uh, for the, like the next l- little little while here because she feels like she deserves a French nanny. So she begins to draft a proposal to her parents as to why she should have one. Oh, this uh, is amazing! So, given my uh, current studies in public relations and drafting press releases and media mm-hmm. kits and and uh, uh, strategic communications plans. Um, I know we're always pontificating about uh, what job the W would be good at in adulthood. Um, I think there's numerous ones we've talked about. Um, but DW's like brainstorming session with Nadine here about drafting this letter to her parents uh, is like incredibly public relations esque. Like when she's talking about uh, like, oh, the, her, the original first reason is like, mommy and daddy, you guys don't spend enough time with me because you're too busy with work. And the DW's like, I thought we scrapped that. And she's like, oh yeah, right. It's like, you guys deserve a break. Why don't you? <laughs> and that is so like PR. Like that reminded me so much of the stuff we're learning in class. Right. About, like how to deliver information in a way that like, uh, I don't know. I, I was like, oh, did, did, DW should take what I'm taking in college right now. There's another great line that I liked, and it's um, DW saying, I'm very dainty and need someone to protect me from Arthur, who is crazy and mean. <laughs> very good. So she takes this proposal to the family at dinner, but they actually intercept her with an announcement of their own concerning DW. And like she immediately gets like the crazy, the, the she gets like the spiral eyes, and she's like, like spiraling downwards because she is just imagining that they're going to give her a French nanny and her French nanny in her imagination, like bursts through the door and just like, it's actually a different accent than Marie Ellen. Uh, and it's just like, it's, it's kind of just more your standard, like French accent of just like mademoiselle DW. I am yours to command. And it actually kind of looks like Polly Lockett. I found, I did find it looked like Polly Lockett. I wish uh, DW would get like a French Canadian nanny, like a nanny on a budget. So she's like, Oh, you know, uh, uh, DW, I do not know. I'm just from Shawinigan. You know, we get the putin. We got the putin, DW. DW, uh, DW we got to leave. I got to take you down to the Depaner. The Depaner. <laughs> to, to, to get some Saint Hubert. <laughs> or, or maybe speaks English like Kevin Owens or Sami Zayn. Oh yeah, just... that title. DW, I need to get the, the title. Uh... <laughs> oh my goodness, great! The tapper. Woo! 
That's uh, I, I I have to give credit to our friend of the show, John DeLong. He was he and he and uh, one of the guys at my wedding party, Luke, uh, uh, really perfected that Quebec that Quebecer accent, and I just think it's hilarious. That that was some of their go-to words: Daybender and Saint Hubert. Um, so, but actually, it's not. She's not getting a French nanny. She's getting an allowance. So every week, she's going to get seventy-five cents, which. To me, is a really weird denomination. For me, like just to keep it simple, I would have either gone it to fifty or pushed it to the full dollar. Seventy-five cents seems like a really kind of strange mid midpoint. Did you ever have an allowance, Will? I sure did. Um, so my first allowance would have probably been when I was uh, around Arthur's age. I want to say like eight or nine. My first allowance was a loony, and which which increased to a toonie, and I believe at the most. My allowance was five dollars a week. Ooh, big baller! I never had an allowance. <laughs> really? That's no, interesting. No, I, I just, I had to make that birthday money and that Christmas money work. Uh, but yeah, I never had an allowance. I just had to do chores because I had to. <laughs> well, it's, it's a part of life that you, you forget is a part of your life. Like that was literally how I used to get like any, any type of money, and. It's something that I did not had not thought about until we got into this episode, which is all about allowances. So DW sees this as like the ultimate flex, and she can't oh, wait. Yeah, there's a lot of DW flexing in this episode. Uh, so you know she dream she daydreams about taking it to the playground, like opening up a backpack full of money and just like it's called an allowance. And Emily doesn't have that. In fact, Mary Mary Ellen is just like, oh, you do not have such things. Mademoiselle Emily has such nice things, but this she does not have. <laughs> she, she's like she sounds like John Renault sometimes. This furthers the fantasy of like her again flexing with that money. She like buys basically buys an entire toy store and gives half of it to Emily and like kind of wins her magnanimous uh, praise. But instead of it going quite that way, uh, DW brings her allowance to the playground, shows it to Emily, and Emily's like, oh yeah, I started getting allowance last year. Which to me is wild, of just like, what do four-year-old, three and four-year-olds need with like an allowance, need with money at all? I, I don't know, there's lots of stuff four-year-olds, I wanted stuff when I was four. Yeah, I just don't know if it's if it's like the right time to be teaching them like the like the value of money in this in this degree. Like I got in, my in this in this economy, never too early to start saving. <laughs> like when we get to the, later on and how the Tibbles have like a bank account, I'm like, damn, the Tibbles uh, uh, grandma's responsible. Those Tibbles got their college fund ready. Well, that's well, that's actually in this scene too. Like DW asked them, "Do you guys have an allowance?" And then and then. <laughs> One of them just goes, Timmy, show her the book. I okay. So this part's great. Not only do the so the Tibbles have a checkbook. Yeah, they, and they have a bank account, which is apparent like apparently just gains an in interest every month. So it, much like last episode when we found out like oh they take like in, like music lessons and all this kind of stuff, the Tibbles are very well looked after, despite how you know savage they are to each other. Um. Do you know how to balance a checkbook, Will? I feel like having... Uh, uh, no. Okay, okay. I'm glad I wasn't the only one where, like, when the Tibbles took out this book, I was like, for a second I had to, like, squint. I was like, wait a minute. What is I don't this? Even, do people still even do that? Like, what? Well, no, the whole, the whole point was you weren't able to check your balance unless you were at the bank because we didn't have cell phones. And so mm -hmm. you would have to keep track of your purchases to make sure you didn't, like... Like, you knew how much money was in your account, so you had to do right. the math yourself, right? I think that's how it... I 
I think that's how a checkbook works. <laughs> Ask your mom and dad how balancing a checkbook works, because now we just now we're spoiled. We get to go onto our our bank account client online and like just make transfers and purchases in like an instant. I I remember when you had to like call the bank on your T nine phone, and the robo voice would tell you how much was in your account. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I, pre- I think I did that a couple times. But yeah, I don't think even though I was a kid. I would have been the Tibbles age around the same time, right? Like in the early 90s. Um, And I didn't know any kid with a checkbook. No way. Especially trusting the Tibbles to carry around their checkbook, please. They seem pretty responsible with it, though. Uh, You'd see records of all their purchases and stuff like that. They must have learned that. So DW realizes that she's actually kind of behind the game, so she needs to step it up. So she actually comes to her parents with a, a long strip of paper that has nonsense on it. It just goes, it's called a bill. And just like basically for like imaginary services rendered for her family. There's a great shot here of it's just mom and dad's face as they kind of regard her as DW is talking about what they owe her for. And their faces just like slow, very slowly get angrier and angrier as she keeps talking. It's such a great little piece of animation. Like they like they don't yell at her. They don't do anything, but they are very not happy with this behavior. And they send her to her room and she's like in tears because she's like it's like I didn't even complain about not having a French nanny even though I'm supposed to have one but you know what this is interesting because like we talk a lot about how um, Arthur deals with uh, uh, wealth inequality and how um, you know uh, Buster, Francine, Arthur they all have complete Buffy they all have completely different living situations and so it's interesting like you know from a child's perspective like DW doesn't understand um, why Emily might have a French nanny and why uh, her parents won't just give her a French nanny because like as a kid you have no sort of uh, uh, concept of money or like like I, mm-hmm. I remember like I didn't understand that like parents like I just thought they had like infinite money when I was a little kid or like sure. another little kid would like little, little kids don't have like a good sense of their situation or they think they, it, it, so it makes sense like as annoying as DW's being in this moment, which she, don't get me wrong. And I'm usually one with uh, a lot of patience for DW. I know she's got her haters out there. Uh, mm-hmm. But as annoying as DW is being and she is being annoying, she um, is, yeah. you can understand why she doesn't understand right it, like it makes perfect sense for the character so you can't help but feel a little bit bad for her oh yeah we've all been in that stage in our in our lives where it's like you know you know we want that we want this thing for our birthday we want this gift and our parents are like no and they and they don't need to explain anymore because we wouldn't understand anyway but they're just like well, what do you mean no like everybody else has it why can't i and it's just completely beyond our uh, understanding at that point, so it is very true to life. It's just also not very endearing to her character. There's a there's a funny little fantasy sequence that DW has where it's like Emily and the Tibbles are in this like vault, like lying down on money and yeah. coloring coloring in their checkbooks. They're like and, surrounded by safety deposit boxes. Yeah, and they're and, like sitting on a giant pile of loose bills. And she and DW's like, "Can I color with you?" And Emily's like, "Do you have Do you have a bank account book?" No. Then what is there for you to color? And slams the door on her. I thought that was good. Joke's uh, on them. They're trapped in the safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so DW tries to go the complete opposite way of being extra responsible and taking on a lot of basically child labor within the house. <laughs> like there's this montage of her like cleaning everything and doing all of these 
chores that she doesn't normally do. And again, she's like four. So I, I wouldn't expect her to do any of these things like cleaning the bathtub. She tries to like wash the dishes and she breaks so many plates. Yeah, that, there's some fun physical comedy in there where like she's trying her best. But like sometimes it's like some of these tasks are above her. Like when she's pouring Arthur's milk, she gets it on his sleeve. Uh, she breaks like most of their cutlery, their plates, I mean. Um, she almost vacuums pal. Yeah. Uh, and so at the end of it, she's like bone tired and she's just like, okay, now that I've been so responsible, uh, are you going to raise my allowance? And then mom is immediately not pleased. So that's not going to work. We get a fun sight gag when DW goes back to preschool of her looking around at everybody. She gets like the RoboCop sight and she's like looking at everybody and imagining what their allowance is. It's like $1, $2, $5, $10, $100. And she looks at Emily and then the numbers just start spinning because he gets apparently gets like infinite money. So, Will, this is my my new uh, homework for you uh, today. Let me pull this up here. So this sequence, like initially it makes you think of like RoboCop, uh, maybe Terminator, the way she's kind of sizing people up with this robot vision. Uh, but, um, it reminded me, I was like, what does this remind me of? Like, I know it's like RoboCop or Terminator, but like, there's, there's something that this reminds me of. Um, there's, are you familiar with the rapper Isaiah Rashad? I don't think so. So there's an Isaiah Rashad video called For the Squaw. Let me see if I can send you this on Skype here. Um, and... So in the the way the video works is it's like him and this kid on the boardwalk and you essentially have the vision that DW has uh, in this episode in that like everybody on the boardwalk, you can see how much money they have like floating over their heads. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, you're, it, it gives you a whole new perspective of like, oh, like you, you kind of sized up this person one way and then you realize, oh, the person that that person who looks like they're better off, they're actually $200 in debt. Um, so it reminded me of this this music video, which is a pretty unique music video. I'll check it out. Uh, so DW immediately like doesn't feel well. She feels sick to her stomach and she gets to spend the day at home while she's there. She is again, obsessing over allowances and asks Arthur and his friends what, like what, what they make for allowances. And they're just like, huh, you know what? I never thought about asking. It's like never come up. And DW's like, is everybody besides me crazy? But then that leads to the poisonous question of how much do you make for allowance? And we don't see them talking about it. But uh, we see them exploding out of the living room with Francine saying things like, consider this the end of our friendship, which Uh, DW has, uh, you know, opened the Arthur gang's eyes to uh, Marxist theory. uh, And and, and now they understand, um, you know, the reality of the class struggle and and, and the 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 violent dominance of capital um uh, being thrust upon them um they now have to uh uh reckon uh, uh with how things truly are they they they've had their eyes opened well and i think that the that they were doomed from the start asking this question because muffy's in the room so of course she gets something right. outrageous oh, no. like getting... like why they even thought to ask i don't i'll never know um so dw eventually gets the idea that it doesn't matter if she has the most allowance. It matters if she acts like she has the most allowance. Which is, this, oh, hey, 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 100% true. DW it, yeah. right here, she's like a phone, she's like a SoundCloud rapper. 
uh, putting the the money phone to her ear. Uh, <laughs> truly, all that matters, the only currency that matters, is clout and flexing. You know what I mean? It, it's how much drip do you got? You know that's the currency that's important. So we get this amazing sequence. DW um, goes from like straight up flexing to like gram flexing here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. DW is just she's a clout queen at this point she is just <laughs> flexing on him i don't think we've seen an arthur character flex this hard yet in the show i think this is the most prime example of flexing we've seen in arthur yeah so dw comes to preschool and she like has these sunglasses on she has this like tiara on with like jewels in it and she has her mary moo cow phone in her backpack that she's pretending is like like a uh, kind of like a cell phone or a landline or something and just pretending that she has all this money. She's using play money to like fool everybody into thinking she's super rich. Like she flashes a couple of bills at the Tibbles and uh, flashes a couple of bills at the Tibbles and asks them for a pillow. And like, she, it's, it's a great thing. Like she picks up the phone and like talks in this fake uh, language and like pretends it's just like, that was my like offshore bank account or whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, and everybody's and the Tibbles are like, "Wow, I didn't know DW was a princess." But then it turns out that like Miss, uh, what? what oh the yeah, preschool their, name? their preschool teacher blows up DW's spot. You know what I mean? She, she she ex- expose her. Oh expose yeah. her. DW's been straight embarrassed. This is like DW's um uh 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 oh god, what's his name? Little Bow Wow. This is DW's little <laughs> Bow Wow moment where it's like, oh, you thought he had all this clash and then here this cash and here he is flying uh economy class on the airplane. Lil Bow Wow like took a picture of uh, another private jet that was docked in the airport <laughs> only to then be spotted on in economy class in like a regular plane. Um so DW truly exposed as the scammer she is. She out here scamming. And she drops her fo- phone, and it's just her Mary Moo Cow phone, and she, like, actually breaks down here because uh, she's just like, just because I don't have as much money as you doesn't mean that you, like, the, that I'm any, that I'm not as good as you. Just, like, don't hate me because I don't have as much money as you. It's really not a good look for DW. It's not, it does not make her sympathetic at all. In fact, Emily kind of takes right, notice of see, this. I, I felt... Like, I felt the way Emily felt in this moment where I was like, oh, I felt bad that DW got exposed. Like, she, it, it's not so much that, like, in this moment, I feel less like it, she just wants the things uh, uh, to have the things, which is what, how she kind of was portrayed earlier in the episode. In this moment when she's like, don't hate me because I don't have as much money, I think she truly thinks that uh, uh, she'll be ostracized or that the other kids will look down upon her because she doesn't have the same things as them. And I think that's totally – I think I, – I, I sympathize with DW in this moment, seeing her lie be exposed. I don't disagree, but I think for me it's less sympathy and it's more pity. Uh, just like DW going to all these harsh ex- harsh extremes to kind of put herself above everybody, and then she kind of gets put back in her place. And it's it's too bad that the her obsession with things being equal and like wealth and everything has brought her to this, but it's also like, yeah, you – kind of get what you ask for here but emily it turns out emily is kind of a saint of just because all she really wants to do she's never cared about the money or anything like that it's been dw who's been obsessing over it so she says dw if if i give you some of my allowance and we're equal can we be friends again and it's a very little kid thing it's just like emily's like i don't understand why you're being like this but if i try and make things better like if i just if i just take away from myself 
to make you feel better. Can we uh, can we just play together again? And DW initially accepts it, but then decides to get, give her allowance back to her and just like, just like, no, that's okay. You don't have to do that. And so there's a, a little bit of a redemptive thing there. See, what's uh, happening here is this is classic Reaganism trickle-down economics, okay? <laughs> what we really need to do is re- redistribute the wealth around the preschool to truly make everyone equal. Well, what's going on here is like, oh, Emily will give DW the table scraps, and, and the richer Emily gets, it'll bring up all the other students because she'll choose out of the kindness of her heart to pass it along. I say... Emily gets the guillotine. You know what I mean? We're in revolution, baby. She's the first against the wall when the revolution comes. Yeah, for sure. Right. No, the first against the wall when the revolution comes is Marie. Marie Ellen. Marie Ellen. And then the episode actually ends with just a quick little gag of DW calling Grandma Thora and like trying to basically bilk her for money, and uh, but Mom finding out right away. So that's it for this uh, episode of Arthur. Let's rewind back and talk about the boy with his head in the clouds. Lucas, what did you make of this episode? So I really like the boy with his head in the clouds. It's again, I think this is an episode where I uniquely uh, relate to it. And I was really pleased to see um, how accurately the, um, the, you know, dyslexia was portrayed by the episode. It was in a really realistic manner, especially like watching like George take his classes or hearing them tell George about, you know, the other people that have dyslexia. I was like, oh my goodness, this speaks so much to uh, my personal experience. As also seeing the way George's mind works. It was really kind of uncanny um, to how similar it is that I think about things sometimes. Um, and so I thought it was, I, I thought it was really well done in that sense. And I loved like, um, the hammer stuff, that stuff is hilarious. And the fact that they went to the trouble of making an extra song for it is really good. Um, that being said, I, I definitely think this is in my top five, uh, for the season thus far, but I think it's on the lower end of my top five. Like it's not laugh out loud, funny per se. Um, and I don't think it's like exceptional. Uh, but I think, um, it's a really unique episode. It's a George episode, and it's an episode I really relate to. So I, I can't help but recommend it. Uh, I just don't think it's it's one of the best of the season. I I'll actually I'd go as far as to say it's one of the best of the season, but I don't think it's the best of the season. Yeah, I think that it's not so much for me. It's not like a standout episode, but it's a standout vehicle for a character I'm really interested to explore more. It's like how. I feel like I said probably a similar thing for like the first fern centric episode mm-hmm. where it's like it's it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be the best episode in the world as long as we establish who this character is and we can kind of, that can kind of inform them going forward. I was really I really like when we give more characters the spotlight and I was really happy to see George be part of it. Like he's been such a bit player and basically a non character for so long that it's good to see him here and I think that the spin with having him be dyslexic and, and but also like having that be a, a means to illustrate his character I felt was very very effective. The episode itself was kind of like not really anything to me, but I appreciated what it's there for and I do like the character of George quite a bit. And there were some really nice touches in there like the hammer sequence and everything. I thought that was very very good. Uh so yeah, not the not the greatest episode, but man I really liked what they were able to do and I'm excited for things going forward. Uh, for more, um, I thought this one had some 
good parts to it. Like, I think a lot of the scenes where, like, DW is full on, like, in in flexing mode. I mean, take a drink every time that we've said flex in this episode. But I think those are really funny and also very true to life uh, for a little kid. I thought that this was the most, like, a realistic little girl DW has been in a while. And that can kind of go both ways. It's just like, I appreciate the realism, but it also doesn't make her a super likable character. But I, it's also kind of not supposed to. So I understand what it's doing there. Um, overall, I don't have really too much like strong feelings about this episode. I don't dislike it, but I also don't really ha- like love it or anything. I think uh, it was an interesting scene to explore. I like that Emily got a little bit more characterization. She seems pretty nice and like she just wants to be dw's friend which i think is cool um and you know some some of the parts of the episode i thought were pretty funny or fun but other than that it's like kind of kind of washed over me yeah i um it's a weird episode uh again i find i usually have more patience for dw than uh her detractors uh but there were moments in this episode where i was almost on my last nerve with her specifically in the first half of the episode uh when she's like wanting a french nanny but i do think it does a good job of sort of as an adult viewing this making us understand that uh, of course dw doesn't really understand why you know the other kids have this stuff and they and she doesn't have this stuff um, and it's it, another thing that's interesting about it is that it's a DW centric episode where there's not actually that much interaction with the other kids. Like there's two scenes. There's basically the one on the sandbox, uh, where the kids show her the checkbook and stuff. And then there's the big flexing scene at the end, but the rest of the episode is majority like DW's inner monologue, which I thought was interesting. But yeah, I, I think I agree with you with, with the exception of the flexing sequence, which is incredibly hilarious and also like uh buster and his friends all uh ceasing to become friends anymore because they never considered that they get different allowances uh i think it's it's just a it's a fairly middle of the road episode and maybe even stands to be a little bit more of an annoying dw episode than other ones uh but depending on how uh much patience you have with dw's more uh, uh off-putting behavior i think this is a fine dw episode in its own right i've seen better but uh i've seen worse so i i think it's you know it's it's okay if we don't have particularly strong feelings at this point in the show like it's 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 okay so you know i still don't feel like i wasted my time watching this of course um so yeah there you go that's another episode of arthur in the books you know lucas we, we, we set it off mike we're getting pretty close to episode 100 that's right episode 100 of elwood mm. city limits is coming up which is insane could you imagine um like two years ago three years ago when we started doing this that we'd have a hundred episodes of this podcast uh, uh yeah no there's a lot has happened in the last three years that we've been doing this um <laughs> And a lot is going to continue to happen. Um, we're going to have to figure this out a, a little bit. We'll have to talk about this off. Uh, we'll have to talk about this off the air. But uh, well, everybody, in case you weren't aware, I mean, I'm going to be getting married next month. In Woo! fact, as of as of Wednesday the 13th, it is 30 days until I get married. So I R S V P. I don't know if you saw my email. 
I did. Okay. We did. Uh, so we really appreciate it. Can't wait to have you there. We'll have to take a uh, special wedding uh, wedding selfie. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure there'll be a lot of those that night. But uh, yeah, April is going to be a crazy month. We're going to have to figure out the schedule for that exactly. Since I'll be getting married, going on my honeymoon, I've got a lo- and WrestleMania is that month. Big things popping, mm. little things stopping. I'll be so. I'll be starting my my work term. Mm. Um. It's going to be very busy for the both of us, so we will keep you abreast of how we're going to be tackling that as soon as we figure that out. But in the meantime, we've got a couple of weeks before all of that stuff uh, touches down, so we continue on with Elwood City Limits. Uh, it's been nice to have a little bit of a streak here. We'll see if we can, can keep that going into the next episode. It's going to be Rhyme for Your Life and For Whom the Bell Tolls. Oh my goodness, the, the Metallica Arthur episode uh, <laughs> is coming up. Ride the light. Ride, we're going to ride the lightning <laughs> and uh, figure out what that's all about. So until the next time, it's actually starting to well, warm up a little bit around here. So hopefully not too much more complaining about the winter weather as uh, well by next week. Uh, as oh, In fact, once Jordan Peele's Us hits theaters, we'll be into spring. I can't think of a better way to kick off a season than a new Jordan Peele movie. All right. So my name's Will Young. Thank you for listening to Elwood City Limits. We are so glad to have you here. Uh, week after week or time after time. And for Lucas Mancini. Free money? <laughs> that was a big wind-up. Because I, I had closed the Word document. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>